All right. Welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. Our goal, as you know, is to help you land a dream job and help you to live your best life. We had an amazing event. This is a virtual event with Austin Job Seekers, Career Warriors, and Recruiters. This event was an Ask Me Anything with Let's Eat Grandma. Basically, myself, Ashley, one of our top resume writers, and my co-founder, Matt, all sat down with some job seekers and let them fire away with some great, brilliant questions in regards to the job search. I just had to get that here for this podcast because the questions that they were asking are questions that every single job seeker should be asking when it comes to their resumes, LinkedIn profiles, etc. So I'm going to roll the questions and our answers to that. Make sure to pay close attention and take notes if some of these things popped out and were new to you because these are the very things that could end up getting you that interview. Just want to let you know if you are in Austin or Denver or New York, we do have monthly job seeker meetings. Currently, we are virtual and going through Zoom, but essentially we'll have a free talk every single month and we'll have resume reviews where you can meet one-on-one for, I think it's like 25 bucks to uh, just uh, have a one-on-one consult with a resume writer and get in-depth feedback. So if you are interested, I think you should just hop on Google and look up Austin Job Seekers or Denver Job Seekers and uh, find the group. It's a meetup group, and we'd love to have you join. And if you're not in those cities, maybe just maybe you can hop in on a few of these meetups just because we are going virtual now. And this is the beauty about the virtual world we live in. Some new opportunities are opening up here. All right, that's enough now. Let's go roll that clip. This is Ask Me Anything with Let's Eat Grandma. Hope you enjoy. Chris, I want, I want to get the conversation started there. Um, just everyone else can feel free to ask questions after me. But first question of the day, how long should a resume be? Great question. I love that. It's one of the most popular, common questions out in the job seeker world, believe it or not. And my belief is the resume should be as short as possible, but as long as it needs to be. And for those of you who think it's a cop-out answer, let me go ahead and elaborate a little bit. This is incredibly important to remember because most people, I would actually venture to say, have a resume that's a little bit too long because their resumes aren't as targeted and as focused as possible. I am a huge fan of, we call it the miniskirt theory. Once again, that's the same concept of as long as it needs to be, but you know, I won't go there in kind of the specifics, but I wasn't the one to invent that, but I'm a huge believer. You got to make sure that it's short and targeted. So things that we can do to make sure um, that it is short is look specifically at the jobs you're applying for. Make sure that the content is as closely matched up as possible for that resume. I will tell you that 99% of the resumes that I've written have not gone over two pages. So if you are in three-page territory, once again, there are exceptions to the rule. There are some people that should have three-page resumes, for example, some academics. But for the most case, you're not going to have a resume over two pages. What about objectives on a functional resume? Do you think that's outdated or do you think there's something that can replace that? I'm not... I'm not a fan of objectives. I still see some people including them. I tend to tell people to replace it with the summary statement, which tend to be a lot more popular now. The summary statements, I think, are, are great because they are more about showing who you are as a professional and what value you have 
to bring to the table for a specific job. Objectives, as many of us know, are they say something along the lines of to achieve a job within data analytics within the Austin area. And my argument against having an objective is that recruiters or companies oftentimes already know that. That's another great question. Kind of a question statement from Randy here in the, in the chat box, Chris. She's having a hard time quantifying her accomplishments and she gets that critique from everyone. Um, mm, of so, course. Yeah, I know a lot of people do. But she cannot quantify without feeling she's totally guessing. Randy says, I am keeping track of my projects now, but that's not exactly helpful for my previous experience. So do you have any advice for her? That's a great question. A lot of us resume writers will work with us and we'll tell you, numbers, numbers, we need numbers. And the, the truth is definitely there. I think there's, that's definitely true that numbers jump out on the page. They grab attention, specifically when we're looking at accomplishments. I should say, don't feel bad or don't feel guilt like you need to have a, a number for every single bullet point. In fact, I know from doing this for years that there certainly are some positions that are more number heavy than others. For instance, if I am a salesperson looking to close, you know, the year out, you know, smash my quota, I better make darn sure that I include numbers and things like that on my resume. On the other hand, if I'm a customer, should say like maybe more of a supportive role that deals maybe with conceptual things or support, you may not get those numbers. I think that's okay if you're not as number heavy as some of those other roles. However, I would encourage you still to take the time and do some research to see what you can come up with. Once again, don't have to have a number for everything. Maybe if you can include at least one at the top of an experience, maybe the top bullet point. To think more broadly, the number doesn't have to be um, possibly like you increased sales a certain number. It can be something more about the context of your job. For instance, if you were a customer support representative, you can say how many phone calls you serviced on a daily basis. You know, what was the frequency of your scope and what were some other contextual numbers that helped out? That's great, Chris. All right, keep them questions coming. Do you recommend writing a specific resume for each job you apply for? Great question. I'm glad someone asked it. Thank you, Reagan, for being a hero here. So here's the thing. You're on the exact right track to get targeted for the positions you apply for. I am a huge advocate actually for writing targeted specific resumes. I will actually qualify that and say not to go crazy and drive yourself bonkers because I know that can be a time suck. Um, I had one person, uh, this is actually, she was a close friend of mine. She said that she spent, I think it was like 80 hours one week retailing her resume over and over again and applying for jobs. And I just felt so bad because I think once you get to that level, there are some other things you should probably be doing with your strategy instead of retailering for the robots, the applicant tracking systems. But what I would recommend is first, just getting specific for the job title you're applying for. So if I'm applying for a, let's say like data scientist position, and I'm also applying for, I don't know, like a software developer position, those are two different types of positions. I would recommend having two categorical resumes. Maybe these are two different folders you have within your desktop. And I would do little micro tweaks, right? You don't want to go crazy, but focus on the jobs you really care about. Focus on meeting people as much as possible. And then I tell people to put as much emphasis on those micro tweaks on the very top, since that summary is often the most read. It's the first thing that people read and it's, it's most commonly read. So maybe you know, for instance, that a company that you're applying for 
really is um, big into, I don't know, something like continuous improvement, like slow continuous improvement, and you know that about that company, then I might find a way to tweak that top of that summary to show how you've improved over time, you know, by getting promotions and things like that. If anyone has any additional questions on that, um, that's a great topic we can go more into, but it's getting targeted is, is an important concept. Um, we have a question, Chris, from Brandy, again, uh, via chat. She says, if a few of my old dental physicians are no longer applicable to jobs I'm seeking now, would you recommend leaving them out of my resume? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll fire back with another question. Uh, when were those dental positions in your job history? 2016 and later. Did you have anything else after that's a little bit more relevant? A few projects. A few projects, great. Okay, so volunteer, intern, okay. That's a great question. Um, it's a little bit easier, and I'll think conceptually here, it's a little bit easier for me sometimes as a, from a resume writer standpoint to look at the resume and then give you some more action, but let me try to work with you here. This once again goes with the concept of relevant content that you want to have in your resume in the forefront. So if those deleting those old dental positions put your resume to where there's almost nothing there and it leaves this big hole and gap where people are going to wonder what was going on during that time, I might just still include those dental positions, but I might shave that down a little bit to where there's not irrelevant information that would take away or detract away from that other relevant stuff that you're talking about. So for instance, I've had clients, many, I'd say like half the clients that we've worked with have gone through a serious transition. So you're not alone there. What we tend to do with them is we tend to cut down those bullet points to just a few really solid ones. And those few solid bullet points that we did decide to include there are as transferable. You know, we hear about the concept of transferable skills, but they're as transferable as possible to the jobs you're applying for. Now, you said that you have a few of the projects, I and mean, even that volunteer experience, I would say, is valuable if it's relevant for the jobs you're applying for. So there is no shame in talking about your volunteer experience, intern experience or projects within your resume and really bringing that up to light and making it really pop in the resume. And even bringing that up in the cover letter too, I think has merit. So don't be afraid to bring that to the forefront. Um, once again, going back to the summary of qualifications at the top, you can bring that up. Um, but really, I wouldn't say necessarily delete those dental positions just yet since it's 2016, somewhat recent, but definitely make it hyper-targeted and concise. Cool. If I'm allowed, I'm going to interject every now and then if you guys don't mind. I, I wanted to pick on Ashley, break things up a little bit. Um, tell me, as far as dates on a resume, do you have a hard and fast rule when you'll cut off someone's work experience? Is it 10 years? Is it 15 years? Is it 20 years? What's your rule of thumb there? Um, it really depends on the industry. For instance, like IT, you want to be as relevant as you can. So you want to make sure that stays within like the last five, six years, maybe um, just because technology is always changing. So what you did, you know, 15 years ago isn't going to matter. Sometimes you do want to have some experience. Typically, I would say my cutoff is about 15 years if needed. So I try to stay within the 10-year frame, but once we start getting into 15, 20 years, that's when I suggest to take it off completely of your resume or just mentioning, I know I've had clients in the past that I've worked for, you know, some big corporations 20 years ago, and they're like, well, I really want to highlight this. I'm like, okay, we'll just put the company name and your position, but we'll leave the dates off. Um, so that's one way that we'll handle that just to ensure, you know, that experience is still accounted for. 
uh, that big name is still accounted for, but it's not taking up and it's not the focal point of your resume. Awesome, Matt. I think, I don't know if you said anything, but it was cut out for a second. Cool. Um, who has another question? So in uh, talking about chronological resumes, what if someone has reworked a few jobs here and there, you know, maybe a couple months or so, do you really focus on the dates still? You really focus on the dates if they've only worked at a job for just a couple of, they've had several jobs and they've only worked for a couple of months. So I'm just wondering about, you know. Um, definitely for your most recent jobs, you want to have them on there. Once you get a little older, I would start taking the dates off. But you don't have to have like month and year. If you want to just do years, you can do that because you still want to have a little bit of consistency, you know, to show at what time frame you were working with someone. But it definitely doesn't need to be like the focal point. So if you need to take them off, you can. But I would definitely suggest your most recent ones having the dates on them. Yeah. What, Cindy, just curious, one word, the, the two-month uh, period, uh, where in the timeline was that? What year? Actually, I, I can't say it was necessarily me, even though I've you know, done mm-hmm. all kinds of jobs. But um, I was helping a friend with her resume, and she had all these jobs, and she just had a couple of months during the year. And I said, you know, that just really doesn't look good on your resume. It's like mm-hmm. job hopping. I was yeah. being honest with her, and she was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so, you know, it was there was nothing I could say that would convince her that it's, you know, she doesn't look like she could hold down a job. She's only there for a couple months. You know, that's always bothered me ever since, ever since I was trying to help her. Yeah. We, it's funny. We just did a, a podcast episode that talked about, like, it was resume gaps, and, like, we did talk about that question is, like, you know, how short is too short? And everyone has a different answer, but I think t- two months actually can raise some questions, um, especially if it's recently. So it's a really good instinct to call that out. And you could also, if they're like contract work, you can just put that all into one. So if it was freelancing or contract and you're just working on specific projects, um, you could just label that section of your resume as, you know, Let's say you were a consultant, like this was my consulting work. And these are the different companies and projects that I worked with. So that way it kind of groups it together. If, if, if it's okay, wanted to switch it up a little bit and maybe ping your brain on LinkedIn. I can talk, talk kind of more about that and uh, how people use in their job search. Um, I want to ask you right off the bat, what is the biggest difference between your LinkedIn and a resume? Perfect. Does that go to me or Ashley? Mm, let's, let's hear from Chris again. Okay. Great. Great question. So your LinkedIn profile is, it is social media, right? And it is public on online for everyone to see at any given point in time. I believe that the resume and the LinkedIn profile should play with, they, they should interplay really. So there should be a relationship between the two. You don't want both of them to be completely different. Otherwise you might be perceived as a chameleon or it might raise some questions. But I see the beauty in LinkedIn in that there's an opportunity really to be more expansive and to include more information and to engage with people and even more so than your resume would. So I tell people, my favorite thing to say is like your LinkedIn is like your more full human version of your resume. You include things like your picture, things like your personality you can showcase within that about me section. So really, once again, driving the point home, it is a more expanded and potentially engaging version of your resume. So I have a question for Ashley about LinkedIn. How many connections do you recommend that you have? Like the quantity, how many people? I would say 
there isn't a specific metric to meet. You just want to make valuable connections on LinkedIn. So if you only have three, but they're going to get you where you need to go, then that's great. If you have over 500, then that's great too. But you just want to make sure that it's valuable to, you know, what you're doing in your industry. Let's see. I have a question for Brandy here. Um, is it okay to message people that view your profile from jobs in which you applied? And she said that her LinkedIn resume are different. What do you think, Chris? So where like where are you messaging them? Is it LinkedIn? Just to, just to clarify, Brandy. LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And then one more question is how how did you apply initially? Yeah. So I think um, I think. LinkedIn is great in that it is the closest thing to networking without actually having to attend events. So I would just almost make it equal to if you had the opportunity to meet someone in person, you know, after you did apply for that job. So I think, you know, I tend to be more on the assertive, no fear side because you really don't have much to lose here. So of course, you want to make sure you're tactful and you're not not coming across as too pushy too soon. But I think that there are really tactful ways to, yes, connect with people on LinkedIn during your application process. I would say go even one step further and try to be proactive in connecting with people in these different companies before you even apply for these jobs. Because I just think it looks, not only does it look better, but it's just, it's just going to increase your chances of getting into a company. And then maybe follow up later to say, hey, I submitted an application for so and such and such. Um, do you have any advice for me or something like that? LinkedIn is great, y'all. There is a great chance to find people. It is as easy as typing in something on the search bar at the very top. Does that answer your question, Brandy? Awesome. You are welcome. And I want to make sure everyone has enough time to ask all of the questions that they have. We have more than just a handful of questions left. I want to make sure we do. Um, and I told you I wouldn't call on anyone, but Marina, I want to make sure you had time to ask any questions you had or so I'm getting so many requests on LinkedIn to connect with others <laughs> it's just like growing exponentially all of a sudden are these people really sending those requests in it's because I'm connected to someone else that they are because yeah. I don't do that you know but I get all these requests from other people so is that is that what's really going on they really are requesting just because I'm connected to someone else that they know? I mean, let me tell you, I have the same thing going on right now. Um, whereas a year or two ago, I was receiving nothing. Now I feel like I get 10 requests a day. This could be due to the nature of LinkedIn and the fact that it has grown exponentially. There are millions of active users in the United States being added every single year um, that will continue as a trend for a few years at least. So it can be the fact that the social media platform is huge and people are still adding on. It could also be that your LinkedIn profile is continuing to gain traction because you're connected with other people. I also believe that. A third thing, and this, this is what happened to me, is I started getting more active and posting on LinkedIn more and also giving talks like this. That also um, really increased people connecting. I will make a pitch to, to just be mindful of who you connect with. Um, it's not like anything bad happens um, if you connect with a bunch of randos, so to speak, a bunch of people who aren't targeted, but you may find that your LinkedIn feed starts to get just muddied up with a bunch of posts that aren't relevant to you and you can't use the platform in an engaging way. So I try to be more cognizant about who I accept requests from. If I see they're selling something that I don't want, then I'll, that's an easy decline. 
Just uh, I do recommend people get targeted and who they accept with. And that's also a really good question. I really love the questions that are being asked. I think every single one could be applied and uh, used for a lot of other people. Hey, Chris, speaking of engagement, how often do you recommend job seekers are posting, getting on LinkedIn to engage other people or What's the best, most useful time they can be spending on LinkedIn? Well, get your own schedule. Get Come up with your own schedule that makes sense for you and what you're doing. Otherwise, I would tell people post every day, comment every day, but I just I know it's going to make some people burn out and it, some people just won't want to do it. So I'm a huge fan of getting as active as possible on LinkedIn as you can, especially if you're in the job search, especially if you need to grow your network. So I have a routine that I have on my LinkedIn, a checklist of things for me to do. Um, I recommend doing the same. Make sure to actually write out what your intent is every time you log on to LinkedIn. Otherwise, you're going to get sucked into it and it's going to be this huge black hole of social media feed and you're just going to end up scrolling for a while without having much focus. So do as much sense as it makes for you. I have 30 minutes blocked out. I had it 30 minutes a day, but I just got so busy with my own schedule. So now it's 30 minutes uh, a couple of times a week. Guys, we have uh, time for a few more questions. Again, I'm not going to ask any more. So it's all you. It's all on the floor. What else would you guys like to ask our resume experts here? So um, my resume is one page and I feel like I crammed as much in there as possible just to because I did so much at several of these um, companies. Like margins are like half inch, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Just like fit it all in. What would you say is too cluttered of a, of a resume? Ashley, what do you think? That's a good question. Too cluttered of a resume is when if you look at it and it's a little overwhelming and you can't just automatically see what, you know, who you are, what you bring to the table. You want to really value your white space on a resume. Not too much, but enough to where it's, you know, easy to read. Um, Because if it's going to be too condensed, that may also turn off a hiring manager um, because they're going to say this is too much and move on the next one. Um, So I play around with what format you're using. Um, If you need to go into a second page, that's perfectly okay. I don't know how long you've been in the field. Um, But if you do go into that second page, make sure that it's at least three-fourths filled. So you don't want to have, you know, the second page just be a a quarter of a page um, because that's just a waste of space as well. I trust me, I've written written for clients in the past and I'm just like, oh, what is going on? I just need to squeeze this to one page. One thing that helped me often was just looking really closely at the jobs that my clients were applying for and saying to myself, you know, what can I cut here? You know, what's not going to be as relevant? And once I was able to remove certain bullet points or even sometimes cut together entire positions altogether, it really helped clean up the resume. We have a golden question from Brandy, and I'm surprised we haven't talked about it till now here at the end. She says, do you have a format you like more than others? Mine is very straightforward due to what I've heard about ATS. That's probably why mine is two pages. If any, any one of you would like to tackle that and maybe talk a little bit about ATS formatting and how that can be navigated. I like ATS-friendly resumes. I try to steer people towards them as much as possible because most people don't require fancy design resumes um, or resumes that, you know, the other ones that aren't as simple, so to speak. I tend to favor single column resumes because applicant tracking systems tend to pick them up better. Like, I think the first year I was using text columns, but as we did more research, we found that text columns may not get scanned very well. So no text columns and single column. And that's, once again, this is all applied towards ATS. You are applying, you know, and you know that the recruiter or the company is actually going to get the resume in a nice clean PDF. Feel free to use some design if you think it fits your job. 
but for the most part, I'm a clean and simple kind of person. Ashley, I don't know what, what your uh, what your policy is on that. No, I'm definitely the same because even if like ATS isn't going to read it, if someone humanly is going to read it, you still want to have it that clean cut. I have some designs where there's stuff on the side and over here and it just gets all over the place. And so you just want it to be very focused. One thing that I definitely steer clear from in general is I know it's more of a popular is the toolbar or skill bars. And so it will say skill and give them like five stars. Like I'm so good at this skill. And then it's like a measurement of your skills. I would definitely get rid of those because one, that's kind of arbitrary, you know, how one skill is better than the other. And then two, that's not going to help you in the ATS system. Mm-hmm. Um, so just list your skills. Don't get creative in that sense, but definitely, you know, simple is better. Do you all have any recommendations on how to improve your chances of being able to get through the ATS system or like getting picked up? Yeah, definitely. Um, so all else aside, you know, I think keeping your uh, resume clean in terms of formatting, like we talked about, um, is that's like a, a minimum I think everyone should strive for. Uh, but beyond that, going back to the principle of, and I'm sorry for saying it like 10 different times on, on this call so far, but getting targeted really can take you a long way when it comes to getting matched. I believe really in looking at the hard skills that are required for positions, and in your case, data science, you know, seeing what are some of the specific uh, hard skills specifically that someone might type in within an ATS uh, to search for someone like you. Um, Come up with eight to 10 different keywords that you think will be relevant for you and make sure that they are craftily and lightly sprinkled throughout your resume. Don't uh, keyword stuff, for instance, but I think really doing that um, can take you a long way. I would say with the targeted thing, I would definitely look at the job posting itself and see what exactly they're looking for and make sure that their top skills are on your resume in some sense. Another formatting is, I know I get a lot of questions, should I submit my resume as a PDF or a Word document? I would definitely suggest if you're submitting your resume online through a server, submit it as a Word document, just because since a PDF is a picture of your resume, sometimes the scan may not pick up these words. So definitely always submit it as a Word document. However, if you are sending it directly to someone, then send it as a PDF, just to ensure that your formatting stays the same. And then a third, this is like a little fun fact, is whenever you are naming your file, um, to be submitted, make sure that you customize that and don't just put, you know, actually out resume. You want to put the name, the position you're applying for. You can put the company name if you want and then the resume because this is another place that the ATS will scan and it just gives you another opportunity to input those keywords. All right, guys. And funny enough, uh, this is a, it's a whale of a topic and I'm so glad you guys brought it up. Ashley and Chris have both written and spoken about this extensively. So you guys want to hear more of their awesome thoughts, you can check out our blog. Uh, you can also go on our, our podcast. I just posted a couple links and one where we've talked more about that. So great answers, guys. I have a question here. Let's do two more questions. Let's uh, go ahead and, and cap this off here. Um, Brandy, she asked, should you attach a cover letter to the resume if you can? Yes, I'm a huge fan of the cover letter. Um, believe it or not, recruiters do not receive a lot of them. And believe it or not, most cover letters are not good. And that is a truth. That is from talking with a lot of people. Um, so I think there is a huge opportunity to catch attention. If you write a good cover letter, it has to be good. 
targeted for the job. I know a lot of, you know, when you're applying for a lot of positions, they may not ask for a cover letter, but I wouldn't not submit that as well unless they explicitly say just submit your resume uh, because going back to it, a really well-written, targeted cover letter can help you to sway someone on the yes side for you and your resume. All right, guys, time for one last one who wants to cap it all off and uh, get their question in. We have one more from Brandy too. She asks, do we actually review cover letters and resumes personally? Uh, I can answer that. Yes, we do. We do both on our website. If you head to the same blog website that I sent, um, but also Chris, we are still doing every other week individual reviews with actually either one of us three. Um, we also have some other teammates who help out with that. So if you're part of this meetup, which most of you are, uh, every one of you, it should be, I guess we do sessions where we'll meet for 30 minutes. It's, $20 for 30 minutes and you get to actually have us just pour through each individual uh, document. Um, or otherwise you can do it for free on our website, but you're not going to get the same like level of service really when you're meeting with us personally. That's a good question. All right. That wraps up our ask me anything or AMA for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and can't thank you enough for being a listener to this podcast. Please make sure to drop me a line or leave a review. So I know that this is working for you or if you have any ideas I'll just read a couple of ones that I really liked over the last few months here. One says, Hi, Chris. I'm a huge fan of your Career Warrior podcast. I'm in the middle of a career transition and have listened to it during the two-hour walks I take every day to stay sane during all of this. Your advice is helping me to prepare for my next role, and I really appreciate it. Hope we can connect. And I have another one from Jenna who says, Hey, Chris. I stumbled across your podcast, and I've been binging on it the last couple of days. So extremely useful information. I'm hoping to get back into the workforce after a hiatus to start a family. So just trying to get myself back out there. You mentioned to connect if you're a listener. Can't thank you enough. And please, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts as well as send me a LinkedIn request. I love receiving both. The podcast one really helps visibility as we are a growing episode or a growing podcast, I should say. So can't thank you enough all for being listeners, especially those who repeat listen. Those of you who connect with me, y'all are my favorite and it means the world to me whenever you connect with me. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week. We have lots of really exciting content planned and have a great day.